You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Praise God. And again, a very warm welcome to everyone, particularly if you're new. Here we say, Vorkid me la falsha, stigodi anoglashon, nokta, alan ahasagwing, tusa avel ling anokt. We have great joy to have you with us here in the church tonight. And if you are new, you stay silent, but all the regulars are going to give you an enthusiastic, warm round of applause. Let's welcome our guests. God bless you. So you are in the year 2020, isn't that right? Okay, about six people are in the year 2020. Hello, 2019 is gone forever. You and I are in 2020. And in the English language, there is an expression called 2020 vision. It means seeing quite perfectly. So I want to talk to that tonight. But it's not about seeing the political future perfectly. And I'm not going to talk about how to study the stock market to make loads of money and predict what stocks will go up and down. And I am certainly not going to talk about going into the bookies and which horse will give you your biggest winnings. We're not into any of that really. What we are going to talk about is how can you and I discern what God is doing in our lives. Because the spiritual man or woman has a huge advantage if we can see what is about to happen. So this photograph on the screen here is someone who is short-sighted and takes off their glasses. So I'm a little bit short-sighted. I don't have to wear them all the time, but I like to wear my glasses in a large building so I can see people's faces in the distance. Now, when I take off my glasses, I can still see you, but you're a little bit blobby and fuzzy. And some of you are going, thank you, Lord. (laughs) And more of you are going, hang on a while, I feel short-changed. But when I put on my glasses... I can see you perfectly, hallelujah. Except the lights are low, so you have a little bit of privacy. Some people are short-sighted, and if we don't wear glasses or contact lenses, we don't see clearly. Other people are long-sighted, so for example, Michael will wear glasses when he reads. I tend to take glasses off when I read, so we need to have vision in the distance and up close. Thing is, spiritually, a lot of us, walk through our Christian life and it's like we're short-sighted and we're not allowing God to put our glasses on us. We're not actually interpreting the thing that happened at work or that stuff going on in your body or that issue in your head or in the family. We're not looking at it spiritually. We all fall into the trap of just looking at it physically or naturally. And sometimes we need to remind ourselves that as a constant thing in our lives, if we don't have our spiritual lenses on, we're not really getting what God is trying to tell us. And then at other times, it's occasional. So there's a spot in the road when I drive home, it's up high, we live outside the city, 
And if there's a fog coming, it's always foggy in this spot. And in fact, the locals have a name for the fog in this spot. It's so regular. And if I don't put on the fog lights on my car, I won't be able to see through it. So sometimes, occasionally in your life and in my life, a situation happens and the glasses that you have on, the lenses to see what's going on spiritually won't do. It's like you need some extra thing. So I might have my glasses on tonight driving home and I hit the fog. My glasses will do me 90% of the time, but sometimes i got to turn on the fog lights to get through the fog. So it's the same spiritually. Sometimes you'll hit a crisis in your life and you need a little bit more clarity as to what's going on. So tonight, brothers and sisters, I'm going to look 2020 vision. I'm just taking... And situation out of the life of one of the heroes of the Bible in the Old Testament, and his name was David. And we're going to look at that and see how he looked at life and what we can learn from it from our own lives. Let me give you a potted history of this guy, David. So many of you might know him, but many of you, this is all new to you. So if you know all about David, don't be obnoxious and go, I know this. How about thinking about the person who doesn't know it? Will anyone say amen? amen? Let's think about everyone here. So if you know the story, don't be giving me that bored look because I'll break your face. Okay. Now let's pray. <laughs> anyway. So here's just a potted few pointers about this man, David. He's the fellow who killed Goliath. He was only a teenager and he killed him, 1 Samuel 17. That was as spiritual as it was physical. He was a fantastic musician. He played what was then the guitar, what we call the guitar now, the lyre. Wrote a load of beautiful songs which are recorded in the Bible as Psalms. He loved God with all his heart, Psalm 103. He was a man who was ethical. He would not stoop to do something. He was told to kill King Saul, who was out to kill him, and he would not. His ethics would not allow him to do it. And he remained loyal, even when it was beyond reasonable for him to be loyal. He was a loyal man. Now, he made mistakes later on, as all human beings can do, but that's a potted history of this guy. I'm going to bounce into one verse, and then read two verses, but this guy loved God. So he's a young man in ancient Israel. He's serving God. He is, the Bible tells us he was ruddy. Now, if you're here to learn English, you won't know that word. R-U-D-D-Y. And a lot of people who have English as their first language won't know what it means either. It's an old word, but ruddy means handsome in a kind of a rugged way. Do you know the way um, some guys are pretty? They're, they're good-looking pretty, like, like Michael. And then more of us are handsome in a rugged way, like me, you see? So Michael was talking about Daniel and his friends last Tuesday night. If you remember it, if you were here, great study. And how the emperor chose good-looking young men, but they were more pretty good-looking. David wasn't exactly pretty but he was handsome in a rugged way. That's what the Bible says. He had a reddish appearance. Actually, you're not pretty. You're probably more the rugged, handsome type, comrade. Because this guy, David, had, had red hair, dark red hair. He was also a great warrior, and he 
taught himself how to fight. He, as a shepherd boy, he would kill the bear and the lion when they would attack the sheep. And guess what? No one was looking. Do you know the kind of people who just love it when everyone is looking at them, but they'll do nothing when no one is around? David was the opposite. When no one was looking, he killed the lion. And in secret, he learned how to fight. And then he took that skill set and he brought it into the open, not for his ego, but for the glory of God. Hallelujah. So this is a potted history of David. And he comes to the notice of the great king of Israel, Saul. And I don't have time to go into Saul tonight, but Saul was vain. Saul was a jealous man. Saul was an insecure man. And when all the battles started happening, and David was a great warrior in Israel, the custom back then is that the young women would come out with their tambourines and their flowing skirts, and they would dance a dance of victory and sing a song of victory all over the towns and the squares and in the halls. And everyone would gather around to see and hear what the young women would dance. And after some of the wars, this is what they sang. The women, the young women would dance and sing. Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. Now, just park the truck for a second. Don't, don't give me this stuff. Oh, that's all about killing. I don't like killing. Give me a break, okay? This is the Old Testament. This is thousands of years ago. This is a tiny nation. They were Jews, and a bit like what happened in Germany about 75 years ago, all the nations around them wanted to murder them and destroy them, and for their existence to be able to live they had to fight so they had to kill the enemy as they attacked them so so get over the killing thing but look at this Saul was able to fight in battle but this young fella coming up was way better than him and I'm sure you've worked somewhere or you've seen it in school or among your friends or in your family when someone younger has great promise the person who's a bit older, who's insecure, can erupt with great insecurity. And so Saul became vicious, viciously jealous. In fact, the Bible strongly suggests such was his jealousy, he opened a door into the spiritual realm and basically a demonic presence would come upon him. And he who started so well ended terrible. He ended terrible. So what I want to look at tonight is how David had to escape from jealous King Saul. So this king was so jealous and he had to escape for his life because Saul decided to kill him, even though he never did anything wrong. He never said a word or laid a hand against King Saul. All he was was loyal and faithful. But the king was so insecure and so jealous, maybe like someone in your life, maybe someone in your workplace, maybe someone in your school or your family, your friend, they're so insecure about you. Or God forbid, maybe you're that person. And you're so insecure that you're saying and doing stuff you shouldn't say and do. I love, before we go into this, what a guy called Andy Stanley, great pastor and author, said, jealous leaders and jealous people measure their success by the failure of others. 
Some people can never succeed in their own right. So what they'll do is they'll knock you. Or they'll knock your family. Or let's say, if a church isn't succeeding in Cork, and we've seen this, they'll knock a church that is growing and is seeing people saved. And they'll knock it by criticizing it. Ah, it's not the real gospel. Ah, they're just doing this. Ah, they're just doing that. But the real issue is, what's wrong with you? Why isn't your church going? Why aren't you leading people to the Lord? What are you doing wrong? And so someone in your work situation keeps on knocking everyone in the office or in the building site or in the factory. You know what? Beware. They'll knock you sooner or later too. Because they don't have anything going on themselves to move forward. So they'll try and knock everyone around them down. And Andy Stanley pictures that perfectly about leaders and perfectly about individuals. Are you, are you tracking with me? Michael is. Is everyone else? Okay. Down the back. Okay. I have a special gift I can see in the dark. My glasses are super x-ray. I can see if your eyes are closing. If you're falling asleep, I'll get you. I'm never coming to this church again. So Saul is jealous and he wants to kill David, not because David did anything wrong, because he is threatened. And your character and your good name will, at some stage, be threatened. And someone will want to destroy you simply because of their own insecurity. Here's God's word, bless it to our souls and feed us tonight in Jesus' name. Here's some verses from that part of the scripture. So David escaped from King Saul and he went to the cave of Adullam. And when his family heard this, they all joined him there. Everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was unhappy gathered to him there. And he became the captain of about 400 men. And so they stayed with David. All the time he was in that cave. So David escapes. It's interesting, this place, Adullam, it's right by where David, about six or seven years earlier, had killed the mighty giant Goliath. So this huge, hairy, muscly man who was about seven feet tall, who was one of the most brilliant warriors anyone had ever seen, was killed by a teenage boy with a sling, with a catapult. And he threw the stone and it hit him on the temple of his head. Now, if someone hits you or me right there on the side of your skull, you and I will die immediately. And it wasn't so much that David had a skill, it was that God was with him. And this giant was mocking God. So just down the road from this, David had known great glory and great success. And here he is about 21. That's all he was. And he knows terrible failure. He's on the run. He's a fugitive. He's lost everything. Just bear with me. Let's look at what he lost. So the door is closed. David, when the jealous Saul was after him, he couldn't go back to his house because his house was staked out. It's like you wanting to go back to your house or apartment tonight and you can't because there's some guy there waiting to kill you. So David's house was closed, which means his family, he couldn't go to his family for help. He used to work in the palace for the king. 
But the king wanted to kill him so he couldn't go to work anymore. So he loses his family and he loses his job. Some of you here tonight know what that feels like. Not only that, Samuel, who was the great prophet, was like his pastor. And because of this jealous king, he couldn't even go to his mentor, his spiritual guide, his pastor. And then his best friend, who he loved with all his heart, Jonathan, he couldn't go to his friend because he'd have been killed there. And probably worst of all, he couldn't even go to the tabernacle, the house of God, which is like the church, because he was a marked man there. So everywhere David would naturally turn, can I say, anywhere you or I would naturally turn, all the doors closed. Imagine what that feels like. Imagine you, no family, no home, no work, no friend, no pastor, no church, nothing. You're on your own. It's a terrible, lonely place to be. It was out of this anguish and despair that David wrote a very moving psalm. I don't have time to read it all tonight. Here are some of the main bits, Psalm 142. David says, I'm up against it. I feel like this is my last chance. I have never been this low. That's his confession. You can read it in Psalm 142. I've never been this low. I'm up against it. This is a terrible situation. And he runs and he goes to this place called Adullam, a cave, a cave. Here's the first discernment. God can close doors in our lives. Revelation 3.7, the Lord will close doors that no man can open. And you might think, God, that's a terrible thing. It's not. It's not because God has a greater purpose. Sometimes when a door closes, it feels like we're losing, but God has a greater purpose. Hallelujah. I've got permission to share this, but... Just 24 hours ago, this time yesterday evening, Denise and I were at home. We get a phone call from my daughter. Many of you know Dara, who leads the Tribe Youth Church here. And Dara rings and she said, I've had an accident. I've had a car crash. So she just said, will you come? And this was just outside Yall on the ring road or the bypass of Yall. We didn't know what happened, but we found out that she was driving down the hill. This was half past six about, and the traffic was very busy. Everyone is coming to and from the city and going back home from work and whatever. And suddenly, the brakes in the car just snapped, just went. And she's gone down the hill. And she's gone down the hill, and there's a car right in front of her. And Dara just goes, what am I going to do? I'm going to go straight into that man. And she could see there was a special needs girl on the back seat of the car. So the brakes weren't working. So she pulls the handbrake and hopes that she can try and get across two lanes of traffic with the car zooming up and down. That was her only hope. And her life flashed before her eyes just 24 hours ago. This is a girl, and I know she's my daughter and I love her, but she sold out for God. She is surrendered to the Lord. She's not messing with her life. She's, she's laid it all down. And so she pulls the handbrake, says a prayer, and her car, and this is what the onlookers said, 
her car literally waltzes across the two lanes of all the cars going up and down and waltzes right across without touching any car. And it goes in and it gently stops in against a barrier. Do you think that was coincidence? That's like God closed the door. It's like, why, why did Dara have that accident? And when we arrived there, um, some passers-by, people who were driving by, stopped and ran out to see if she was alive. What happened? And one couple in particular refused to leave her. Now it's dark. So a lady and her son sat in the car with her while we were on our way. They said, we're not going to leave you until your parents get here. So 20 minutes later, we get there. And so the lady and her son, a teenage boy, come out of the car and they were just saying, do you know, that's incredible. She said, I said to your daughter, you're haunted. And Dara said to her, "Mm, I believe in God. And I know God protected me in this accident. And I know his angels were around me as I maneuvered through the cars. So this lady is talking and we're talking back. And then the lady goes, Grace Church? I said, what? Grace Church? I said, yeah, yeah, I'm one of the pastors in Grace Church, yeah. She says, I've been with you three times recently. Now, this is dark. And I said, I thought your face looked a bit familiar. And she said, I know you're here tonight. Owen, Owen McSweeney, you're out there. She says, my name is Helen. Owen, my friend, invited me to the church. And here is this woman who was like an angel to my daughter and her son. And they sit with her while she's recovering from the shock of this crash. And it turns out she was in this church. Now, you can look at that and go, God, it's a real coincidence, isn't it? If you are, you're foolish. If that was you, discern what's happening. Put on your spiritual spectacles and see what is God doing. I said to Dara, maybe this is all about this lady Helen and her son Shane. Maybe it's not about you at all. Maybe this is God breaking into her life. And he uses something dramatic like this. And maybe there's a whole lot of things going on. And maybe we can't understand everything that's going on. But I promise you this. When you see, and I've seen these kind of events happen constantly in my life. Where you know that you know that you know it's not a coincidence. God is doing something. And sometimes like in David's life, he closed the door. But he closes the door to open a better door. Hallelujah. This is what David experienced. That's what Dara experienced last night. And she's fine and she's recovering and she'll be back to normal tomorrow, God willing. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Denise and I were saying we could be going to the morgue to look at a dead body. We could be going to the CUH up to the hospital to look at her gasping for life. We could be dealing with the guards, with the police, with with all other people injured. Not a hair on her head. Do you think God will protect you in that situation? I challenge you because I believe it and I claim it in the name of Jesus. God is our protector. Would anyone say amen? Would anyone believe that for their future? You keep close to the Lord, he'll keep close to you. You look after God's business, he look after your business. Hallelujah. Look where David was. 
the cave of Adullam, which basically means the place of refuge. Now, I was challenged by Michael last week when he was pronouncing Daniel and his buddy's name, Belshazzar and all of that. You see, I'm a Cork man. I was born and reared here and lived, lived here all my life. So I say Carrigaline, or I say Farinri, or Clashin, Adullam. Farinri, Clashin, Carrigaline, Adullam. But you see, Adullam and the people there didn't have a Cork accent in ancient Israel, did they? Hello? Did they have a Cork accent back then? So it's not a dullum. Do you know the way in, in Cork we kind of sing up and down? And we, even in the one word our, our accent goes up and down, it's like the hills of the city. A dullum. Carrigaline. Farinry. It wasn't a dullum. Because they didn't speak like that at all back there. It was a dullum. A dullum. I am in Adullam. I am in Farinri. Adullam. So they were in Adullam, the place of refuge. It was known. That's what it meant in ancient Hebrew. Here's the second discernment. The cave wasn't David's refuge. The Lord himself was David's refuge. God is our refuge and our strength, Psalm 56 says. A very present help. Who can finish the verse? In troubled times or in times of need. The cave was how God helped David to be safe. But David didn't look to the cave as his refuge. David looked to the Lord. You work in Apple. A lot of people work in Apple. Hallelujah. But God is your provider, not Apple. God uses Apple to give you a salary. Or EMC, or Vox Pro, or the building site, or the factory, or wherever you're working. Or social welfare. God uses that to provide for you. But if you start worshipping Apple, or EMC, or VMware, or wherever it is you work, then that becomes your idol. Jehovah Jireh. Yahweh Yaira. And that's Hebrew for God will provide. He's my provider. It's one of the ancient names of God. El Shaddai. The God who is more than enough. Who'll say hallelujah. So David learned. While God provided a cave for him to have refuge. David knew because he wrote it himself. The cave was not his refuge. The cave was God's provision for his refuge. It was the Lord who provided his refuge. Hallelujah. We have to discern this, brothers and sisters, because if we begin to look at these other things as our refuge, we've lost it. We are like those who have no faith. We're looking at the world just through natural eyes. But men and women of faith are called to look at the world through spiritual eyes. Praise God for your employer where you can earn a salary. But God is the one who gives it to you. Hallelujah. When David's family heard he was at Adullam, they all joined him there. And you might go, whatever, grand. Mm -mm." Remember the background. David's father 
hardly knew he existed. He had a whole load of bigger brothers. Was it seven brothers uh, besides sisters who were older than him? And they were all big, fine, hairy, muscly men or whatever. And David was like the runt of the litter. In Irish, we use the word the echter. And my mom, mother and father would always go, if they weren't impressed with someone, they'd go, God, he's the right Echter, him, you know. And Echter just means like the runt of the litter. And, and David was like the Echter, hallelujah. <laughs> he was like the fella everyone forgot because when Samuel the prophet wanted to pick one of this guy's sons, he went through them all and the Holy Spirit said, no, not him, not him. Man looks at the outside, I look at the heart. And then up comes the skinny little young fella who was at that time probably only about 14. And Samuel said, this is him. But his dad said, oh yeah, yeah, there's another fellow. Who's he again? Yeah, yeah, he's out there. He was forgotten by his father. David wrote about his mother. I was conceived in sin. Mm, whatever was going on there. Don't know what way that relationship was. And David's older brother, you can read about it at the Battle of Goliath. The older brother was obnoxious to his younger brother. Who do you think you are? What are you doing here? I know what you're like. You're only looking for attention. He detested his younger brother. So the fact that they choose to go out to this cave to join David is incredible. It's incredible. Because they didn't really have a lot of time or a lot of respect for their younger brother or the younger son. He hardly came into their thinking. It's a bit like sometimes in families or with friends or God, even in marriages. It's like the other person doesn't see you. You don't matter. You're kind of there to do the dishes or you're kind of there to bring in money or you're kind of there for whatever, but you don't really register. And that's how David was. He was almost forgotten. He wasn't valued as a an individual, or a human being. And yet here we find all his family. And it says all. So that's not some of them, all of them left home, excuse me, and went out to join him. So discernment three, God restores relationships. Hallelujah. Malachi 4.6, the Lord turns the heart of the father towards the children. Praise God. You know, when we spoke about how God closes doors, Sometimes the door God will close in your life is a relationship. And if someone leaves your life, don't chase them. Girls, if you're dating a guy and he drops you, let him go. See the voice of experience there? You had many boyfriends, Michael, and they all rejected you. (laughs) Seriously, though. Someone leaves your life, a friend, boyfriend, even if if they go off, if they're meant to be in your life, God will bring them back. But if you go chasing them, you're trying to bring them back. David didn't chase dad. David didn't say, daddy, 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 please come. David didn't go after his brothers. They looked down on him. Remember, he's only about 21. He's still a young fella. And yet they all came to him. So sometimes people will leave you, let them go. If they go and they don't return, they were never meant to be part of your future. Their time in your life is over. 
You need to accept it and see what God is going to do in the future. And I know that's easier for some personality types than others, but it remains the truth for all. David let his family go, and his family all came back, and they came to be with him. And David becomes the captain of 400 men who were in distress, in debt, and who were unhappy. You can have a friend, or you can marry a guy or marry a girl, but they're going to be distressed, a load of debt, and really unhappy. Amen. Thank you very much. I mean, not exactly the kind of guys you want to surround yourself with for the future, is it? Naturally. And yet, here we see them. These are the guys who came out to David. And a lot of these guys, unhappy, some versions have malcontent. Again, it's an old English word. They were malcontent. It meant they were treated badly. And what we read, and we don't have time to go into the details now, is that David didn't just nurse their grievances. He didn't just come alongside and say, yeah, yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awful. You should get your own back. Get your backs on that fellow now. He didn't get into that space. What David did is he lived and he walked according to a higher way and David by his lifestyle and by his example and by his ethics showed them there's a higher way there's a better way to live life hallelujah and David would have challenged them both by his lifestyle and sometimes he would have challenged them face to face and then a couple of years later we read about this same bunch of distressed bankrupt and malcontent men And we read Discernment 4, how God turns life around. 1 Chronicles 12.8, David's men in the wilderness were mighty warriors with faces like lions. Now girls, you might be going, I wouldn't date a fellow with a face like a lion forever. But if you're a man, that's a great thing to have. And back then, if you were known as a warrior with a face like a lion, because the lion was the mightiest of the animals, you would be proud. And you would walk into church with a strut. And all the girls would flutter their eyelids at you. Because you had a face like a lion, you were a mighty warrior. And all the guys would look at you with deep respect. So when the scripture says that these guys end up mighty warriors with faces like lions, it means once they were losers, once life hadn't worked out well for them, once because the circumstances maybe a bit of themselves, life was not good. But because they choose to be with a man of God and follow a vision where they would not ethically go against the ways of God all of these men changed and the army of unhappy bankrupt losers became an army of mighty warriors with faces like lions I pray that every man and woman whether you want it or not in this place tonight would have a face like a lion and I mean that spiritually This is another discernment that we can read about Adullam. And we read that God changes people. So can I challenge you? Because I have come against this again and again. 40 years I've been coming up against this. Someone comes into a Christian meeting. And there's always someone who'll go, 
Oh, look, look at his hair. Look at her piercings. Look at the tattoos. Look at the, I don't know, whatever. And you go, are you that shallow? Can you not see the work that God is going to do in their lives? They look at people, even Christians, and they write them off. Do you know what? Every man and woman in this place can be a mighty warrior for Jesus. And girls, if that's not your thing, we'll be looking on Sunday at beauty queens. You can be a beauty queen with beauty. That is spiritual. Hallelujah. God has a future. If we choose to follow the Lord, he'll change us. He can even start that work tonight. Would anyone say amen? Amen. If this is all new to you, he can start that work tonight. So I challenge you and I ask you and I encourage you to think. Can you see clearly? Can you look into your life and say, all that stuff going on, that's Jesus. Can I ask you tonight, don't look with your natural eyes. Get a pair of spiritual glasses and put them on and look at all the stuff that's happening and try and see it from a heavenly perspective. Get the long-term vision. And how do you do that? You do it by prayer. You do it by reading or listening to the Bible, by coming to church and hanging out with Christians. That's how you get spiritual glasses. When I sit with Michael and we're talking about life's events, one of us, if we go for coffee, will always go, you know, that's actually God. And we begin, instead of looking at the natural, which is everyone's instinct, we begin to look at it in a spiritual way. Band are going to come up. We're going to sing that moving, haunting brilliant song written by the revival out in Australia, Hillsong. Many of you know the song Oceans. I always think about when I almost died drowning and Jesus rescued me. Sometimes we'll drown because we're not looking at what God is really doing. So tonight we're going to pray that nobody leaves this place without looking spiritually, even if it's for the very first time. Let's stand We've got another five or eight minutes before we finish. We're going to sing the first verse and the first chorus. And I'd ask you just to have the sinner's prayer ready as well, if you don't mind, Diana. Thank you. We're going to put that up in a moment. So Jesus Christ has called us on a journey. David's journey led him to a strange place. And maybe tonight you're in a strange place. Don't despair. God has something better for you. God is going to use that to bring you forward. Hallelujah. Have faith. Let's sing and then we'll pray.